So initially I just set out to make a film strictly about pizza and perhaps Naples because it was such a fascinating, chaotic, sexy, vibrant, like almost unlivable place. I mean, mm. it's these strange dichotomies and just this, it's just such a fascinating place. It has this crumbling beauty, this art, but all the history of all the invasions and et cetera. So, so the film initially was just going to be about that, but then pretty quickly early on, this the same aforementioned friend who had pizza with me the first mm, time. Okay. Later on, she her name is Paola, and she came down to visit me during my first expedition for filming. And I remember we, we were in a agriturismo and we were looking at the footage and she saw my footage and she said, you know, you're not really just making a film about pizza. You're making a film more so about Aranjarsi. And I remember her saying, Mateo, Mateo, <laughs> <laughs> not just pizza. So to me, when she said not just pizza and you're really making another film than you think you are, come to find out it was really evidence that my soul knew what the film was about before my ego had my agenda of, oh, I'm going to make a pizza film. This is Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, with Whitney Ann Jenkins. Hello, and welcome to the seventh episode of Unconditioning, Discovering the Voice Within, where I bring on guests and we talk about the inner authentic voice and the rewards and the challenges that come from following it. This week, I have with me filmmaker Matteo Trancone, who released a film called Erin Jarsi, Pizza and the Art of Living, which has appeared in numerous film festivals all over. So for those of you who don't know, Aaron Jarsi is an Italian word, and the meaning is something like the art of overcoming an obstacle, or the art of being resourceful, which during this pandemic COVID time is very relevant. Matteo spent five years living in his camper van and in a tent in Naples, Italy to make this film. He was the writer, director, producer, cinematographer, narrator, editor, and composer of two original tracks for the film. And it took him eight years to complete this project. So Matteo's passion and love for Italy and pizza, as you'll come to know by listening to this interview, and if you stream his film, you'll find that his passion really shines through and is in a way contagious. So I have a personal love for Italy. I have Italian roots. Some of my family is from there. And... Years ago, when I was living in Los Angeles and I was working on music and I was working with a music producer who ended up wanting to date me, and I was just really frustrated with the inauthenticity that happens sometimes in Los Angeles. And I just wanted to get out and I wanted to get away and anywhere in the United States was not far enough for me. So I was trying to figure out how I could travel and it wouldn't be so expensive because I didn't have a lot of funds to work with. And so I connected with this family who needed an au pair and I put all of my sundresses in a suitcase and I took my guitar and I went to Italy and I worked for a family teaching their kids English during the day and I would play my music in cafes at night and I completely head over heels absolutely completely fell in love with Italy. It really changed me forever. And so whenever I meet someone who has a connection to Italy or roots to Italy, 
in my life after that experience, it just sparks something within me. And Matteo is one of those people. I met him through happenstance, which you'll learn as uh, we get into this interview. So I don't want to take any more of your time talking about my deep adoration for Italy because you're going to hear a lot more of it from not just me, but also Matteo. So here is Matteo Ciancone. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Yeah, I'm doing good. No complaints. Pandemic's been good for me. As most people would say, as all the healers are doing well with this because they get to be introverted like we are and rest and all that, that, all of it. So yeah, it's been good for most of the people I know that are healers. I know. I feel like I'm going to have a hard time coming out of my hermit life. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who says you have to? You've got a podcast. Sounds like you got it down. I've been taking Italian lessons occasionally. Non ti credo. Con chi? Yeah, with a classical guitarist, a musician friend of mine. Non parlo ancora molto bene italiano. <laughs> I'm still pretty rusty. <laughs> so you were in Italy close to when all the pandemic stuff started, weren't you? I was in Milano, which is right near where the pandemic, the epicenter of it was, two days before the outbreak, or at least when they knew of, of the outbreak. Two days before, I was actually in this near the epicenter. Wow. Yeah. And then I escaped. I escaped like I think I was able to escape March 7th or 8th before they locked down the whole country. I have a friend who was working for a tourism company in, out of Florence, and she's been stuck there for a whole year. Whoa. So her Italian's probably really good by now. <laughs> probably. <laughs> Boyfriend, the whole deal in that, at this point. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was there for three months and I picked up a lot. So I can imagine a year. From the other Matteo. <laughs> we don't need to talk about that. We're done with that. I listened to a couple of your podcasts and I, I must compliment you. You've done a great job. So thank you. Oh, I really like doing it. It's it's lighting me up in a way that I really need right now. So hopefully mm. it can help light up other people too. Yeah. So just to steer us in the direction we're going. I think the way that I met you was really interesting, intersecting with the theme of your film, because at the time that I met you, I was kind of being guided in a way, almost like the universe was leaving me breadcrumbs, like a treasure hunt. And so when our mutual friend Carl invited me to go see a movie about pizza, I was like, yes, absolutely. I want to go see a movie about pizza. (laughs) But then when I got there and I saw the film and I saw what it was really about, and that it was resonating not only with my love for Italy and pizza, but it was really emphasizing the Aranjarsi of it, which was mirroring my life in a really incredible way. Is Aranjarsic a word? Aranjarsi? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Aranjarsic? Not... Can, can we make that a word? Yeah, why not? Aranjarsish? <laughs> Arangissimo. How about that? Arangissimo. Perché no? Well, you know, we're always being guided and I think the our work is to to listen to the guidance because that's perhaps one of our greatest resources that we have besides time is perhaps our own internal guidance. So the question is whether we listen or not, because it's always there. It's always something to be to be heated or heard or tapped into. And you obviously did that that night and you and <laughs> pizza. Yeah, obviously, and pizza sucked you in. So that's 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 my master plan is to suck yeah. everyone in to this the message of the film 
through pizza. Right? That goes with the, the LA Times review, the, the movie's energy, ebulence, vivid scenery, and pizza porn keep us watching, right? So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's that element. So I finally could say that I am, in fact, a porn star. My dream has come true. I'm a pizza porn star, apparently. Yeah. yeah. So because you're so connected with your inner wisdom and guidance system, uh, I'm curious to know when you first discovered and understood that you had that. I think I'm still understanding it as I surrender more and more to it, quite frankly. I think that's really what is happening. As I said, it's always there. Mm -hmm. It's always a, a voice to be listened to or to be ignored. Or oftentimes, I think with, with most of us, and I know I can speak for myself that, you know, we, we all know better. We all have, <laughs> we do, we all know better. But whether we do better, whether we heed the the call is is another story and in terms of this film it was a calling i would say and your calling is going to keep calling you until you answer until you pick up the phone <laughs> <laughs> you know so it kept this this particular project um from start to finish really including even now with the dissemination of the film is is a practice and listening to my internal guidance because the internal guidance is really what made the film and so how could it not know how to disseminate the film? And in my experience, it has been pretty untraditional. <laughs> <laughs> it's a work in progress. There are plenty of times when I have uh, an egoic desire or I'm trying to force something uh, a certain way. And, and with this particular project, a great example would be film festivals. Mm -hmm. um, for for quite some time, I wanted this film to be in this particular festival or at this particular place. And that was what my ego wanted, but that doesn't mean that it was it would serve the film. And, and when I mean serving the film, it's also, you know, the people, the energy of the people at the festival, mm -hmm. the people who come to see the films, will they even be able to receive the, the message of the film, which is that there's always a way in life and that the obstacle is in fact the path. So it's still a work in progress. However, the more grounded and rooted and centered that I am, the easier it is to feel it. And I think that's the key is, is as one of your other guests was saying so eloquently, I can't remember her name. She was the, a, a sex therapist mm -hmm. yeah melissa uh, yeah melissa that's correct she was saying you can you it, you feel it in the body and so it's so easy to say well this film should be a b and c it should be in this festival it should go with this distributor because it looks great on paper and it certainly gets it, it you know it, it excites the ego you know all the the bells and whistles and the glamour of of the potential of a certain distributor a certain film festival whatever However, if it doesn't feel right in the body, then, then it's, it's not a good fit. So, so the answer is for me is that I can feel it in the body. If I feel a yes, then it's a yes. And I usually say it's a, if it's not fuck yes, then the answer <laughs> is it's either no or it's not yet. It, it also can be not yet. So you can keep checking back in with yourself the next week or whatever and Sometimes it's just a clear hell no, but um, but to me that's I think that's what I've learned is as a rule if if it, if it's not hell yes then it's no it's I'll pass. Nice. Did, did have you had uh, mentors in your life to help you? 
access that? Where did you learn to do this? Because I know you say that it's kind of innate in you and you're still learning, but what, when did you first learn? When did your journey on, I guess, a spiritual kind of journey sense, when did that begin for you? I don't even know, to be honest with you, because I, I almost don't know any different. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like it's just something that is innate in all of us. And I think it's on some level, perhaps a soul's journey or a soul's decision to to tap into this or to feed, you know, because we're always, we're either feeding the ego, the beast, which is essential to have, for us to have egos, of course, we're either feeding that or we're feeding soul. Are we driven by our egos or are we driven, are we soul driven? Are we driven by our internal guidance, our divine self, our God self, you can call it spirit, whatever you prefer. So um, as I said, it's still a work in progress. However, this film in particular mm-hmm. really was a tremendous practice for me because even during the editing process, when I was wanting my ego, wanted something to be a certain way, mm-hmm. or for or another example is when people outside of myself would say, no, you have to use this narrator or you have to cut the scene of the dog montage because in this film, I have a, a, I have a 90 second dog montage, except in music, which I really, really loved. And that was divinely channeled, I would say, or orchestrated in a mm-hmm. way. It was just, and it turned out to be in the screenings, it turned out to be one of the more favorite parts of the film. People love it. And when I say you have no idea how many people told me to cut this, but I, I listened to myself instead of everyone else. People were like, oh, thank God you you didn't cut it. So, But I've had many, many good teachers. I'm, I've been very fortunate to mm-hmm. have had many good teachers throughout my, my life, practical teachers in terms of grounding, rooting, centering. And one of my favorite teachers at, at this moment has been a, a healer um, named Catherine Lennard. Mm-hmm. She's been an incredible um, inspiration and an influence and a, a tremendous help, actually, during the making of the film. In fact, during the editing process, she actually came to my studio and she helped me because what she does is she she channels your own soul. So she's basically just speaking yourself back to yourself. Mm, like <laughs> a mirror. Yeah, like a reflection. Yeah, almost. yeah. yeah. And sometimes it's hard to hear ourselves because we have our own agenda or, or we don't trust ourselves. Or I think that's one of the big pitfalls of any artist of any kind is that we we have the proclivity or the, the pitfall of listening to other people and letting their energy, mm. letting their opinion influence our own projects. Yeah. Stand true yeah. to yourself is not so easy sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And the cool thing about what I've learned from my my friend Catherine is that when you are rooted, grounded, and centered, when you are, as she calls it, breathing through your mangina, in my <laughs> case, <laughs> when you're when you are in in this space, you you know, if you can feel it. Now this feels right, and even if somebody says something, Matteo, you should cut this from your film. Okay, well let me let me sit with that. And if I get a yes, then I'm like, yeah, let's cut it. That's a great idea. It, you can feel it like, oh, yeah. So that's just something that um, she's really helped me with. And the more you practice, that's the beauty of it. The more you practice all of this, making decisions like, should I have decaf today or should I have tea or should I have, you know, little things like that? Should When should I go to the store? Mm-hmm. When should be the best time 
in terms of me with traffic, energetically, whatever. And you, you make little decisions like that, the more you practice that, when a big decision comes up like, oh, they, these people want to distribute your film, is it a yes or a no? Then it's a, it's a little easier when, mm -hmm. when the, the stakes are higher. Yeah. So I imagine the first time you tasted pizza, that was a big yes for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, full body, <laughs> full body uh, orgasm for sure. Absolutely. In every, in every sense, it, you know, it's, it's an, it was an epiphany. Yeah. Do you want to yeah. talk more about that and your passion for pizza? Because I personally never encountered anyone as passionate for pizza as you i've eaten pizza with you i've sought out pizza that you recommended for me in new york city when i had like three hours so please share your discovery of your passion for pizza well i mean i think it's the most ubiquitous food in the world i think at this point and it's just it, it's so gratifying and like they often say, the best pizza that you can eat in the world is the one that you're eating in that moment. It's like, <laughs> and so I've always, of course, like like most people have really loved pizza, but had never really had anything even remotely close to what I, what I experienced in Naples. So when I experienced that in Naples, it truly was, it, it was an epiphany. It was a profound discovery like what have I been eating my whole life? What have I been doing with my whole life when this something so simple, so beautiful, so pure, so fresh, so alive, how could this exist? How do they do this? I don't understand what, why aren't people, why isn't everyone doing it this way? And the whole world has to know. So that's, that's what happened really. And my friend was with me in Naples when we first had pizza and I, I never forget the look and the expression on her face when she was eating it. She was, <laughs> again, it was like, it was like a, um, it was a very sensual moment. Let's just put it that way. So. Yeah. <laughs> Back to the pizza porn. Yeah. Um. It was, it was a discovery. The look on her face was like, Oh my God. You talked about being lit up. She got lit up. We both got lit up and it was like we were discovering gold or, you know, or you were discovering, I don't know what would be the works of the first person that comes to mind is Chopin. You hear Chopin for the first time. And you're like, Oh my God, mm -hmm. how did anyone do this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so was that the initial goal of your film is to seek out how this pizza is being so majestically made <laughs> <laughs> or well, how, how was that arranged <laughs> well said well arranged is a great word because that's what Aranjarsi means is the art of arranging oneself so Aranjarsi has it does have the word arrange in it Aranjarsi say miranjo I arrange myself we're going to figure this out. We're going to, the art, my favorite definition of Aranjarsi is it's the art of overcoming an obstacle and it's the art of being resourceful. Mm -hmm. And that's actually where the, the character, the main character in the film ends up becoming more of a master of Aranjarsi, where in the beginning, he doesn't really know. He's figuring out how do I live, really? Mm -hmm. Aranjarsi is also, that's why the film is also called Pizza and the Art of Living. So Aranjarsi, you would say, Miranjo, I arrange myself. It's the art of becoming, overcoming an obstacle, the art of being resourceful. And as I said, the, the greatest resource perhaps for the character at the end of the film is his own internal guidance and trusting that. Mm -hmm. 
So initially I just set out to make a film strictly about pizza and perhaps Naples because it was such an interesting, fascinating, chaotic, sexy, vibrant, like almost unlivable place. I mean, mm. it's it has these strange dichotomies and just this, it's just such a fascinating place. It has this crumbling beauty, this architecture that's crumbling, but but all the history of all the invasions and etc. So so the film initially was just going to be about that, but then pretty quickly early on, this the same aforementioned friend who had pizza with me the first mm. time. Okay. Later on, she her name is Paola, and she came down to visit me during my first expedition for filming and all the pizza. And I remember we, we were in a agriturismo, and we were looking at the footage, and she saw my footage, and she said, you know, you're not really just making a film about pizza. You're making a film more so about Aranjarsi. Mm. And I remember her saying, Mateo, Mateo. <laughs> <laughs> not just pizza. And because I had filmed, uh, unbeknownst to myself even, I had filmed all these street artists, I had filmed oh, lots of street characters, and um, because I was just was fascinated by it, and I was just filming whatever I was curious about, not having such a big agenda. Mm -hmm. So, and since things are digital now, you can get away with burning a lot of film, so to speak. You can, you can, shoot and it's kind of a fishing expedition so i was just practicing exploring what made what made what i was passionate about and what, what i was curious about so to me when she said not just pizza and you're really making another film than you think you are come to find out it was really evidence that my soul knew what the film was about before my mm -hmm. my ego had my agenda of oh i'm gonna make a pizza film you know right hmm and the different ingredients going into the pizza, I feel like each have their own unique voice too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the, of course the people, because um, I filmed the the olive harvest in Chianti, I filmed uh, the San Marzano tomato farm, and at that farm, I mean, these people are real great characters. I mean, they're so fun and alive, like like the tomatoes there, and that was. I'd say every place I went, wherever, in fact, even the pizzerias in Naples, every, every time I went into a pizzeria and they were having fun and they were joking around and it was full of life and joy and a passion, the pizza would be really good. Mm -hmm. And if I go to a place that even was renowned as being, oh my God, you have to try this place, it's so good. If I would go to a place and it was dead and the energy was, it was just not happening and people didn't seem happy or or there was tension, the pizza, I, I swear, you could taste it. It was never as good. Mm. So, so with regard to all the ingredients, yeah. um, that was what was so delightful and such a wonderful experience for me was meeting all these great characters at the tomato farm or going to the organic buffalo mozzarella place where you know the <laughs> where the water where the water buffalo are getting these massages you know <laughs> they're, they're treated so well and there there was so much respect and love and joy there you and they even said on um, and it's i think it's in the film they said well you can taste it if if you treat the buffalo really well you can taste it in the milk so mm -hmm. that was, i loved it that that was so fun to do all mm. all of that part how many pizzas do you think that you ate during the entire process of making this film? 
<laughs> you know, it's one of those things we, we should always count, like, because <laughs> we should always count from the beginning, but I figured it out because I went to Naples nine times to make this movie. Wow. Nine specific times. And oftentimes I was eating two pizzas a day, sometimes three. So I would have two for lunch and maybe one at dinner. And I would go to a different place. A lot of times every day I'd try a different place. So it's well over, well over 400 pizzas. Wow. You could almost do kind of like a spinoff of like the supersize guy, guy. <laughs> only with pizza and it didn't put you in the hospital. So that's true. Says something about the quality of the ingredients that they're using, I think. Yeah. And actually a margarita pizza is actually very light. It, the way that they make it in Naples is very fresh and it has just a few very simple ingredients and it really doesn't have a lot of calories at all. Fresh buffalo mozzarella has a, has a fair, it's has a, like an 11 percent fat content so there are a lot of calories in that however the wheat that they're using and then the tomatoes and then the herbs i mean there's really that that's about it and yeah and they don't put preservatives in their food when i was in italy i lost 10 pounds without trying it even though i ate so much and i think it's just because everything was so fresh and <laughs> I was used to the garbage that I was eating in America. Yeah, I think I think in, you know Italy definitely has their share of carbs. However, the Mediterranean diet is very very balanced, so they do have their carbs. They do have their pastas, of course, and pizza being you know um, having carbohydrates for sure. However, it's it's very balanced. So when when I've ever um, gone out in Italy or at my family's house in the north. There's always, even at lunch, you're going to get five courses. You'll get a little piece of meat, perhaps. You'll get a soup. You'll definitely get a salad. And you'll also have perhaps a little pasta dish to start out the whole thing. You'll have soup, pasta, maybe the meat. Then you'll have your salad at the end. So it's pretty well balanced. But there's actually the place that I recommended to you when you were in New York, Ribalta. <laughs> mm -hmm. Do you remember? Yeah, I remember. Mm -hmm. per perhaps one of the it's definitely, in my opinion, one of the best Neapolitan pizzerias in the entire country, at least the ones that I've eaten at. There might be others, but I haven't eaten them at them yet. Ribalta, the, the man who, who is the head pizzaiolo, he actually wrote a book, The All Pizza Diet. It's, I forgot what it's called. Actually, we have to look it up, but, but he actually, he has a big whole, he has a whole big diet. It's eating nothing but pizza and you can actually lose weight. So I believe that I'm, <laughs> I'm a testament to that. Well, American pizza also, as you know, is, is heavily, heavily, how do I say it's heavily, uh, it's emphasis is heavily on toppings. Mm. And right. one of the reasons I think is because in the Neapolitan pizza, the most important, perhaps the most important basis of the pizza is the pizza crust, the dough, mm -hmm. they call it the pasta, the paste. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that right, then you can most likely make a very good pizza. That's really the key. However, it takes a tremendous amount of skill and training, and you have to have the right oven. You have to have the oven temperature to be right. You have to have the cooking time. I mean, there's so many variables. It's not easy at all. So what happened was when pizza was brought over from Naples and into New York, primarily the, the, the first pizzeria there in New York, I think in the whole country is a Lombardi in New York they didn't have a lot of wood for the wood burning oven. And they're also a lot of them weren't trained. So they started to use 
gas ovens. They started to use coal primarily, which is the New York style, became the New York style pizza. And then they used electric ovens. And that really changed the whole way pizzas was being made. And as a result, instead of making something that's very light and tender and fluffy and moist and fresh and is only cooked 90 seconds maximum, like a Neapolitan pizza, they started using electric ovens. And when you use an electric oven, your cooking time is going to be anywhere from say six to 10 minutes and it dries out the, mm-hmm. the, the dough makes it really hard and crusty and it makes it heavy. And so as a result, my, my theory, and I, I think this is probably correct is that the flavor of the dough was gone and it became kind of a cracker. And so as a result, they started piling on all these toppings to give mm. it some flavor instead of making it a some simple artistic way which takes, again, as I said, a, an incredible amount of skill and, and um, mm-hmm. training and, and equipment. Yeah, whenever I go to a restaurant, I usually like to order the like most basic thing because I feel like if they can't get that right, then there's maybe not so much hope for the other things. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, is kind of a metaphor for a lot of things in life, right? That's true. Yeah, if you can um, just sit with somebody, I guess, and or go on vacation with somebody and, and get along, then I guess it's a, probably be a pretty successful relationship. Or I, I really agree with you. In fact, my my two favorite pizzas, my favorite pizza probably is the marinara because mm-hmm. it's just there's not even any cheese. It's just the marinara was called the marinara because it was a very very poor pizza, the the pizza of the sailors of the mare of the marinare. So it's just tomatoes. And so if you can make a really good marinara you are a pizzaiolo, you are a pizza chef, you can make any good pizza. Or the margarita, again, is pretty close. That would just you have buffalo mozzarella or fior de latte. So I'm, I'm right there with you. Those, those are what I order primarily, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there's the olive oil, which you did a whole YouTube info session about, which was super informative and I loved and I shared it with my family. And we went to the store and they were like checking all of the things about the olive oil. <laughs> I'm training them. Would you like to share anything about the olive oil? How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, I did make a recently I made a YouTube video about how to how to choose a really good authentic olive oil. And because most olive oils are in fact, a lot of them in fact aren't even 100% olive. And even if they are, most of them, over 80% of them are chemically refined and not real olive oil. So um, I'm actually going to be doing a follow-up video fairly soon on that. It's, it's one of my great passions still, and it really kind of, it kind of came out of making this film because I went to Chianti, to a part of Tuscany where their olive oil is very, very famous. In fact, in all of Italy, you, you can get great olive oil. There's, there's incredible olive oils from each region, from Liguria to the right side to the eastern part of the country in Trieste. I've had incredible olive oils there. Of course, Chianti, Tuscany is very famous for having a more, I would say, balanced oil. Mm-hmm. Liguria in the north is, is a little bit lighter, so those olive oils go better with fish. The oil that I've had in, in the eastern part, northeastern part in Trieste, Udine, that's very bitter, which I happen to really love. When you go to, to Puglia, where the majority of the olive oil in the, in the country is made, it's, it's much stronger, it's much bigger, it's bolder, it's peppery, it's spicy, it's, it can be bitter, but 
they tend to use a varietal that's that's more round. And then of course there's Sardinia and Sicily, just amazing oils. So having said all of that, it's very rare that you can even find an olive oil of that high quality in the United States. They, they do exist. And if you watch the, the YouTube video, I give specific examples. But yeah, I'll, I'll add that into the, the link in the show notes so people can just click on it. How about cool. that? Yeah. Great. Thank you. One of the things that I learned when I went to Chianti to film the olive harvest is that 82% of all the olive oil in the world, worldwide, all of the olive oil, 82% of it is what they call lamp oil. Lamp oil is an oil that quite likely was olive oil or is still olive oil to start. However, it has been chemically refined, it has been filtered, it has been processed, it has artificial color and artificial flavor injected into it. And the reason why 82% of all the olive oil in the world is lamp oil is because it's very cheap. So there's these now, there are many farms in Spain, in Tunisia, in Morocco, in Turkey, in Australia even, that have these big, big, huge agribusinesses, these big farms, and they're the ones who are making the lamp oil. They don't harvest the olives because it's way too labor intensive and way too expensive to actually harvest the, the olives like they do in Chianti, where I filmed, for instance, or in most parts of Italy. Mm -hmm. So instead of harvesting the olives, what they do is they, because they have 10 million trees, up to 10 million olive trees wow. at these, yeah, isn't it incredible? And so they, they can't harvest them. So what they do is they, they let the fruit get so overripe that it falls off the tree and it, it, land, it, it rots on the ground. And then they have these vacuum cleaners, these big machines that come and vacuum clean the soil with all the, the dirt and the twigs mm -hmm. and the bugs and all that stuff. And then even though it's technically olive oil and they're olives, they, they have to deodorize it to make it fit for human consumption. And that is... Um, the term, that's where the term lamp oil comes from because olive oil in Italy and in Greece was initially used to light lamps back in the Roman times and the Greek times. And of course they weren't harvesting this, you know, I mean, of course the stuff was rancid because it didn't matter, but, but this makes up what I just mentioned makes up over 80% of all the olive oil in the world. So at, at most supermarkets, especially mainstream supermarkets, you probably can't even get an authentic real olive oil that hasn't been adulterated or deodorized. It might still be made from olives. It might still be extra virgin, which means that it was the first pressing and then the acidity is lower than 0.8%. But I guarantee you, originally the acidity was not lower than 0.8% to make it extra virgin to qualify it. They had to chemically refine it and alter it to make it fit for human consumption. And that's what lamp oil is. And all the big name brands um, are by and large are lamp oil. So what I recommend is to, to seek out and i do have these recommendations on the youtube video and i recommend to seek out an olive oil that has been usually from a small estate and it'll have a harvest date on it it'll have a best buy date it'll have an acidity level which is very important if you can find an olive oil where it says dop that will signify that the olive oil is 
is authentic. And so there's a lot of things to, to look out for, but I would by and large avoid the big name brands because I guarantee you that it's just rubbish, quite frankly. Thank you is for that... sharing that. Yeah. <laughs> is that enough or shall I, can... I go on? <laughs> I mean, if you, would, if you would like to share more, but we can put the link into the YouTube video so you don't have to repeat yourself as much. If... That's fine. No, I'm, I'm, I'm very passionate about it. And, and that's olive oil also where I filmed in Chianti, they used the, the typical, it's, it's, they call it the famous mix of the four different types of olives. They're the pandolino, the moreolo, the lecino, and the frantoio. They're four different varietals. And so their oil is very balanced. It's, it's, they treat it like a wine. Mm -hmm. And I look at olive oil, in fact, that way too, because there's certain dishes where you're going to want a really light oil that's not too spicy and it's you know for mm -hmm. instance when you put it on fish but there's yeah. other times when it's it's really nice to have a big bold um, olive oil from Puglia or whatever so they all differ but in terms of lamp oil you're never going to find anything it's it's going to taste hardly like anything it's going to taste really greasy it's going to have a fake green coloring yeah it's going to taste greasy and oily it's not yeah. going to taste alive it's not going to be fresh and bitter and spicy and peppery and, and not have the like medicinal properties that it contains completely yeah the medicinal the the bitterness and the spiciness and the pepper peppery flavor and some that is from the tannins from the antioxidants that are in the oil you're never going to get that from the lamp oil because the the oil is essentially dead it's been killed it was rotten to begin with um, most likely and then they they had to deodorize it and kill it so one of the great things about a really small estate oil and there's ones that you can get at Whole Foods, for instance, Baluchi. I love Baluchi. You can get it at Whole Foods. You can get it at most health food stores. Yeah, they I've are... had that one. Did you like it? Yeah, I loved it. Yay. I'm, I'm happy to hear. Yeah. I bought, I have a, I bought like a couple cases of it. <laughs> I, I, I was, I was made an offer. I couldn't refuse. But the cool thing about, um, <laughs> check you into olive oil rehab i think there's no rehab is for quitters <laughs> and there's there's no rehabilitating me i've i've I'm, I'm, there's no turning back but with me and olive oil but one of the cool things about these small farms any really good farm in italy that is making authentic quality olive oil is going to harvest the olives before they're actually completely ripe mm. And this is what you had talked about, the, the, the antioxidants and the medicinal mm -hmm. properties. This is what gives the, the olive oil, the, this, the greenness, the pepper, the spicy, all of those flavors is that. And you'll get much more antioxidants when you, er, what they call it, early harvesting. You'll get much more of those um, in an early harvested oil than you will, of course, when the olive is, is fully ripe or in the lamp oil case when it's, when it's rotten. <laughs> so... The other cool thing I love about olive oil, and I'll just finish with this. <laughs> You've touched a, a good nerve. Good. And this will be in my next video is they've, they've studied it. And olive oil is my favorite condiment of all time. And what it does is it magnifies, it accentuates the flavor of, of everything you put it on. So I put it on just about everything. Mm -hmm. And they've determined that it, it accentuates and magnifies the flavor uh, by nine times. 900 uh, percent yeah i love putting it on avocados with like some oh. lemon i mean it's so good <laughs> yeah yeah well because you're also in a good oil you're going to get 
you're going to get some maybe some a hint of artichoke mm -hmm. you're going to get some almond perhaps some nuttiness you can get all lemon all kinds of different things it's so beautiful to to go with to pair to pair with an avocado so, so what's your opinion i feel like there's a lot of olive oil stores popping up with different flavors added and infused are those good to go to do do you think there's hope in them or is that just masking the lamp oil that's a great question i think Generally, those stores are pretty good because you can taste the oil before you buy it. And generally, they are getting their oil from very good sources from all over the world that have that have been certified or have been quality controlled. So I think generally they're good. However, um, store-bought oils, for instance, at a Trader Joe's or whatever that has that is infused with an herb or something like that, it's highly likely that they're just covering up the lack of flavor or the greasy, oily um, lamp oil flavor. Um, they're covering it up with a, with a, you know, Calabrian pepper or a lemon or a basil or something like that. I would say it's something to be leery of, certainly, but with regard to the stores that you've mentioned that are popping up, those are, those are generally pretty good. Yeah, I think it's also a great thing to do is you can go in and taste different oils from all over the world and um, they'll bottle it right there. And so, you know, it's going to be fairly fresh and the oil that they're getting is going to be from the, the very latest harvest. Whereas again, a lamp oil has a shelf life of who knows how long because it's so chemically treated. Whereas a, a store-bought oil that's really good, like a Bellucci or like a De Carlo, those generally are, last about two, two and a half years if stored properly, mm -hmm. something like that. I mean, you could probably get three years out of it, but but the the fresher for me, the fresher the better. So it's okay to stock up on it a little bit, <laughs> <laughs> especially if you get it enough where you can't refuse, like like I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So we we've covered the the pizza dough, we've covered the mozzarella, we've covered the olive oil, pomodoro. What makes that a uh, exquisite in Napoli? Oh, um, that's a great question. There's several varietals of tomatoes in in Naples, um, a lot of a lot of which I still can't pronounce. Pianolo is another tomato that's really good. That's very popular in um, in Naples. Pianolo. Uh, Pianolo, yeah. But the most famous uh, of them, oh, Datarini. Datarini is another one. That's a, it. Just came to me. Datarini is another tomato varietal that's very famous in the south and very good um, for salads and for pizzas. However, the most famous is of course the San Marzano tomato mm -hmm. and that's for my film that's where I filmed was a was at a San Marzano farm right outside of Naples about 20 miles outside of the city so it's on the foothills of Mount Vesuvius and just like the oil um, which is DOP these tomatoes are, are DOP which means um, that the it's the that the they've been the destination of origin has been protected meaning that this particular tomato, to call it a, a true San Marzano, it, um, it, it can only come from this one particular region in all, the whole world, actually. It's like champagne. Mm. And this, this goes for olive oil, too. There are certain olive oil varietals um, all around Italy where it's DOP. They only grow to be certified. You, it has to come from this only this one particular area. And oftentimes, it's only a few square miles or kilometers. Mm -hmm. So in this particular instance with San Marzano, that's 
the DOP does apply. So there's a confluence, there's a bunch of different like climatic um, factors that, and, and soil, there's, a, there's just a perfect storm that makes this tomato so special and why it's the perfect tomato for a pizza. This, the tomato is grown on, in a volcanic soil. So mm -hmm. it's highly, highly rich in minerals, particularly potassium. And potassium is what gives the flavor and all fruits and vegetables really in Italy. And that's why everything in Italy tastes so good. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Not only the, the, the tradition and the skill and, and all of that and the love that's put into it, but, but literally most of Italy is volcanic. Mm -hmm. And um, like, like the island of Ischia, for instance, like the island of Sicily, the, those are volcanic islands. And so the, there's a tremendous amount of potassium in the soil. So in San Marzano, it definitely has that. And then it has a specific climate with um, a lot of, you know, a lot of sun and a tremendous amount of water. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's nice. what, and the other cool thing about the San Marzano tomato is when you eat them raw, they taste, they, they taste like nothing. They're actually kind of waxy and kind of horrible. And then I just shot a video on this actually. So expect a new tomato video coming oh, out. Perfect. Perfect timing. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you when the when the San Marzano tomato is raw, it's actually pretty lifeless. It's pretty tasteless. It's not very good. However, as soon as you cook it, there's something magical that happens. It becomes immediately becomes creamy and very very sweet and almost kind of rich. So it's perfect since it has a very low acidity level and a very low seed content compared mm -hmm. to other tomatoes it's perfect for the neapolitan pizza because the tomato sauce on a neapolitan pizza is basically crushed raw san marzano tomatoes um, with some herbs and that goes into the oven and is cooked as i said as a at a maximum of 90 seconds so it only takes 90 seconds in a 900 degree oven for the tomatoes to become very sweet and creamy and, and rich and incredibly beautiful so um, in the video that i just made i i teach everyone how to make a five minute sauce mm. it only takes five minutes from from fresh san marzano tomatoes it's quite easy Ooh, cinque minuti cinque minuti si <laughs> <laughs> um so speaking of the soil you have a bunch of ancestral roots in italy yes yes so, all of my family so combining that with what we were talking about with feeling things in the body i know when i was in italy i have some family roots there too when I was there for the first time, like my body responded like it was alive in a way that I'd never felt before. Did you have any experience of being connected to that soil from your ancestral roots while you were there exploring all of these things? That is a really good question. As soon as I arrived in Naples, even for the first time, for even before I decided or had the, the vision, the epiphany of making a film there, I felt a connection to the earth. And it was always explained to me by my friends that I made there of it being because of Naples is between, it's situated in between two volcanoes <laughs> <laughs> and you can easily feel it. As soon as I arrived there, I felt kind of a primal energy. My, my friends used to say, oh, you will find a girlfriend very quickly here because <laughs> the energy is there and it's, it's, you know, that you can feel the a very, a very primal vibe, I would say. 
And so I, yeah, I immediately felt that. And of course, going to all these farms, it was so inspiring to me to see people still connected to the lands, like the, the crazy tomato farmers in my film. They're just, they're, they're living, they're living off the earth. They're in the earth, they're dirty. And they're, it was so beautiful to see that, but also there wasn't a disconnect that I see in other cultures where agribusinesses have taken over. It's so much more, as you know, in Italy, there's so much more, there are many farmer's markets mm -hmm. and, you know, you, you don't go to a supermarket to get vegetables. You go to the local stand, right? Right. And it's just, or they, they deliver it every morning. So. Yeah. And you have to eat it right away or it goes bad. Like you can't keep them. <laughs> the vegetables don't stay longer than a day or two. I learned that the hard way. Yeah. And it's kind of cool though, because you, yeah. if you go into this, the city center, if you go to your local produce person you're you know you're connecting you're out in the community you're making community that way you're connecting with the farmers you're you're making friends and it's a beautiful yeah. family and as opposed mm -hmm. to just going to a supermarket where this stuff mm -hmm. is loaded off a truck and yeah. you have no idea it's much more mindful eating i would say yeah it's such a part of their culture and connecting to the land where i stayed where i ended up staying which you'll see in the film i ended up staying living in a tent <laughs> <laughs> at one point for a whole summer at my friend's villa in Naples, high above Naples and Kiaya, they, they have a villa, but there wasn't room for me anymore. In the, <laughs> I was going to say, she didn't let you stay there. Well, I was staying in the, in the preschool and then I got kicked out because the, the kids were in there. And so um, to keep me connected to the land, they, they pitched, they gave me a tent. And so I, I slept on, on the land for, for a whole summer. And on that land, in the middle of Naples, in the city, in the middle of, they have groves of lemon trees and they're growing all kinds of things. So it was just, it's almost one of those things where it's just, it's so natural and it's so, such a daily part of one's life there that you don't even have to think about it, about trying to connect to the land. You're just automatically connected to it. But as I said, you can feel the energy of the volcanoes and, and it kind of feeds into every bit of everyone's character and behavior for better or for worse. <laughs> that makes so much more sense, my experiences in Italy now. Well, I don't, I don't know how, uh, I don't, you might have to edit this part out, but my friend Andrea was like, oh yeah, the volcano, the volcano is speaking to you. Oh, you can feel it. You know, you can feel this, this, this vibe and it's why everybody is, is always uh, making love and all of that. So. Mm -hmm. Why would I have to edit that out? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it is. It's a very, it's a very palpable primal energy that you can feel. It's very, it's like the, a throbbing volcano and you're, and you're yep. in between two of them. <laughs> oh, the, the volcano has a voice. The land has a voice. The pizza has a voice and wisdom to it. Yeah. And we have our own voice. And, very uh, pure. Yeah. Yeah. And to be thrust in and thrust into <laughs> and thrust into that environment. I, I find in, whenever I go into a, a chaotic urban environment like in Naples or even a Los Angeles, there's a part of me that f it forces myself to listen even more to my to my divine self or to my how do I put it, my internal guidance because mm -hmm. It is such an extreme area. You're you're being overloaded, sensory overload, and it's such an extreme situation that by by survival you have to, you have to go in, mm -hmm. because if you go out outwardly, if you you're you're gonna you're gonna you're not gonna survive, <laughs> metaphorically right. or literally, yeah. you know. Yeah. Speaking of, 
if if your inner voice was able to speak outwardly, what would it say? I am. I am you. Yeah. Yeah. I am. I am you. You are me. But listen, listen and trust is a good one. Yeah. yeah. What What advice could you give someone in learning to trust? Well, I think what I um, alluded to earlier is is when we, and this is what I've been taught, really. I mean, I, I just feel like I've had really good teachers and I want to honor them all. And what I was alluding to earlier was when we start to make decisions based on our intuition, even if it doesn't make sense in the, in, in the midst of it, and it, and it ends up being a miracle or something magic happens, if we start listening to that, and have quote unquote success, or you have an outcome that was unexpected and even desirable and welcome, then the more we can build up little, use that as a practice and build up little examples on an everyday level. Like, as I mentioned, when do I go to the post office? Should I go at this time? No, go. should I go at this time? Yes, this would be a good time. The more you can build up the muscle, so to speak, in the practice of doing that, the easier it will become and the more fruitful more in your calling, more in your, more in your divine, you, the more you will be divinely guided. Clearly mm-hmm. it's a, mu- it's like a muscle. It's a practice. It's like anything. Yeah. So that's, that's how I feel about it. But. Beautiful. And it, and it, as I said, feeling you can feel just like when you go into a, a, you know, you go into a place and you're like, Oh, this feels funky or this doesn't feel good to me. So what the ego does is it immediately judges something as good mm-hmm. or bad, but really in truth, it's, there's nothing that's good or bad. It's just, is it in alignment or is it not? Is it resonant yeah. or is it disresonant? Yeah. And so the more we practice honoring what's true for us, what's resonant, the, the easier it becomes. And then the, the smoother life becomes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, I think for me, I think that's like speaking of like traveling in Italy and everything. I feel like that part of me is more easily accessible when I'm in a place like that, because the like things like language, <laughs> <laughs> like I have to like tune into myself to feel which direction I should go. If that makes sense. Yeah, it makes it makes complete sense. Uh, absolutely. That's the beauty of, I think, being out of outside one one's comfort zone and, and we're used to relying on language or, or certain cues, social cues or whatever. And when those don't really exist, we have to tap mm-hmm. into something else. When I was making this film, when I started making it, my Italian was not really very good. And I would be interviewing people and people would be like, <laughs> you know, like, like, oh my God. But, but I was forced to use my intuition and I whether I understood every single word or not, I always knew that if the interview was going well, if I had gold, I could feel it. Mm-hmm. It was clear. It's like, oh my God, this is gold. This is going to, I knew it was going to be in the film. Mm-hmm. And I had about 110, I don't know, maybe 120 hours of footage that was whittled down to a 90 minute film. But interviewing all these people and, and shooting all this stuff, um, you, you just know, you can, mm-hmm. you can feel it. And one of the the examples that I love is um, of listening to my intuition when it never made any sense was I was um, filming in Naples. They have a ceremony called the Festival of San Gennaro. Mm. I don't know. Have you heard about this one? I feel like I have, but you can explain it. 
San Gennaro is the patron saint of Naples. And to make a long story short, if it's possible at this point, <laughs> he was be he was beheaded. Um, oh. I don't know, I think in like 600 or something like that, 600 AD. And when he was beheaded, they, they took some of his blood from the, the scene of the crime and they kept it in these vials. And then they separated the, the blood vials from his body and you know, went on their business. And about, I think 600 years later, they reunited his body, his remains of his body and his tomb with the blood vials. And when they reunited the blood with his physical body, what was left of it, the bones, the blood liquefied. It was this miracle. And it mm. became this pagan ceremony that exists still today in Naples. They do wow. it three times a day. Two, or three three times a day, three times a year. <laughs> and I filmed this actually for my my film. Mm. And it took me three times to get it right. There were two times where the filming did not go well, that these weird things happened. And mm. I can't I help can but imagine. Yeah, exactly. I can't help yeah. but think that it was um I was being orchestrated in a certain way or whatever. Yeah. At first I thought that you were going to tell me that the blood was the real secret ingredient to the <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Did uh, not. Um, but <laughs> what what did happen during the the filming, the third and final incomplete completed filming of the Miracle of San Gennaro was I filmed in the morning and I had my fake press pass and I sneaked in and I had access and I and I filmed and then there was like a and the blood had liquefied. And then the, the ceremony is that they take, they have a procession down the streets of Naples and they march the blood to this other church, but they take a big break, uh, like a siesta break and a food yeah, break. And it's like, like they typically do. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And it was like, I don't know, it was like a six hour break and I was absolutely ex exhausted. And and then I'm like, what do I do? I have a six hour break before the festivities re reconvene. So I asked, I heard this voice and they said, dude, they said, Matteo, go, go across town and have a pizza at this place called Matozzi. And I said, no way to the voice. I said, no way. I'm not, I'm not going to Matozzi. It's on the other side of town. I've got a huge backpack full of equipment. I'm already exhausted. I got up at five o'clock in the morning to do this thing. And they're like, no, go just go there. And it was a deep feeling that I had to go to this place across town called Natazi. So I ended up listening to the voice for no apparent reason other than I thought, well, at least I'll have a good pizza. And it was this intuition that I had. Mm -hmm. So I went to, to the pizzeria and they weren't open mm. at that point. So I had to wait outside and I was waiting about 20 minutes and out uh, next door to the pizzeria, out comes the shopkeeper and there's a tailor shop and out comes this very elegantly dressed man and he comes outside and he sees me waiting and I see him and I just immediately just blurted out because he was so elegantly beautifully dressed I said you are you are le molto elegante oggi you are you were very beautiful today and he said well if you'd like to look like me come inside my shop <laughs> <laughs> and I mean I just was there for a pizza right so at that point, I should preface to say that at that point, for I had been trying for three years to get an interview, a specific interview mm -hmm. with this one person, and I had completely let it go. He was on a list I had made, and I completely let it go. So I go into the guy's shop, and I ended up, I was in there for like an hour and a half, 
and they were asking me all kinds of questions. Why are you here? Why do you speak Italian? What's your film about? And I started telling them about my film. And they said to me, oh my God, this, this sounds so fantastic. Do, do you happen to know of the, the author Pino Aprile? And I said, as a matter of fact, I've been trying to get an interview with him for three years and I just, I just let it go. I gave up. And they said, oh, well, he's a good friend of ours. So let's give him a call. Wow. So in the shop, they called him. And two weeks later, I interviewed Pino Aprile in Trieste, where, I, where we both happened to be by chance for one day. We were in Trieste and I made the interview and he is in the film. And that was what I re was really wanting. So if I hadn't listened to my intuition to go have a, a simple pizza, I would never have Pinot Aprile in my film. Wow. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> so I, I think a lot of times our, our the feeling of yesness um, doesn't necessarily make sense. And I guess if you've asked me for advice, I would I would say don't try to make sense of it. Just honor mm. the yes. Mm -hmm. And no, if it's a yes, you'll you'll be in good hands. And if it's a no, then it's good to honor the not yes <laughs> as they say <laughs> the not yet or the not yet well well said yeah fantastic so where can people view your film that you've been talking so eloquently about well thank you for asking right now as a, as a matter of fact it just recently i just put it online on my own streaming on fantastic. my own site and i've been selling dvds for quite some time and recently just have it streaming on my own website, which is pizzaandtheartofliving.com or arndjarcyfilm.com. And I'm in the midst of actually changing the way the film is, is streamed. Right now there's a, a nominal charge for it. But what, I, what I've actually been called to do is the film is being offered as an offering by donation or as I call it, pay what you feel, mm -hmm. pay what you want, pay what you feel as a, on a donation basis. Yeah. So I'm on the midst of changing it to that. But right now it's, it is a nominal fee and you can, you can stream the whole thing. So, I, yeah. I highly recommend the film to everyone listening and not listening. <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening, please let us know. And, uh, <laughs> stream Mateo's film well thank you I wanted to also it just makes sense because ultimately I want the message of the film to be to be spread to be disseminated and again yeah. the message of the film is that there's always a way if you want to do something in life and you feel like you don't have the proper tools or mm. the right education or the right you know enough money or whatever it is it, there's always a way you'll yeah. find a way and that's what Otter and Jarcy is that's what the art of arranging yourself really is and so yeah. I also wanted to offer up the film like a street artist would do because mm -hmm. that's what street artists do they they, yeah. they create something and they put out a hat and people make an offering in return yeah that seems very in alignment there you go in alignment <laughs> <laughs> and very relevant for these times this subject yeah, and you know, and these are tough times for a lot of people. I know that, and um, it's a way that people can take a break and then also enjoy something that's whimsical and fun. That also has a, you know, I feel a deep, deep message, but also has a lot of fun, crazy characters, and that celebrates life rather mm -hmm. than celebrating the stereotypical things of Naples, which is the mafia or violence or, mm -hmm. or the garbage or things like that, or just in general. So those yeah. are the type of things that, you know, that, that keep me inspired are, are projects that, that uplift us and inspire us. So. Amazing. 
Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, I just appreciate what you're doing. And I love how, as the, they, they say, how the creator, how spirit weaved our two paths together mm -hmm. that one night when you came to, to see the film with our mutual friend, Carl. I love, I love that, uh, that we've been woven together and, and the dance continues. So that's really cool. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If you're listening and you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and rating this podcast as it really helps get this podcast out to other people who might be interested in hearing it but don't know about it yet. And also, if you'd like to contact me or reach me, you can reach me at unconditioningpodcast at gmail.com or unconditioningpodcast on Instagram. Thank you so much. And until next time... Stay tuned in to you.